0: Welcome to episode 43 of On Air, the Ohio Hockey Digest podcast. The Ohio Hockey Digest is the foremost location for hockey in Ohio, covering every level played from youth and high school to juniors, college, and pro. Articles written to keep the hockey community up to date on all that's happening with hockey in Ohio. My name is Tim Sullivan. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Lewandowski and producer Dan Humphrey. Commissioner Scott Harrington is joining us as well tonight, Jay. Big time. With On Air, we are bringing you fresh content and adding voices, names, and faces to interesting people, making the Ohio hockey community better. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. The USPHL is the nation's largest amateur ice hockey league and the only league to span the continental United States and parts of Canada. The USPHL will field approximately 550 teams in 2020 and 2021 representing over 100 organizations comprised of 11,000 players spanning the ages of 6 through 20. Overall, across all of its divisions, the USPHL had more than 1,200 alumni playing college hockey in 2019 and 20, and more than 250 playing pro hockey, including the NHL. Learn more at usphl.com. Last week was a first for our show. The Tri-States Collegiate Hockey League Use our platform as Commissioner Tim Driscoll came on to make a major announcement that the league is going to have the University of Michigan join in 2021, 2022. That was exciting news, exciting talk. Tim is doing wonderful things with the Tri-State Collegiate Hockey League, and it was really nice to have Coach Ryan Brown on from, we well, you know, that team up north.
1: Well, I can tell you that every time we've had Commissioner Driscoll on He's a real commissioner. Uh, He does, unlike, you know, what we got stuck with here, but um, (laughs) our guy big time here, but uh, apparently we're getting, we're getting uh, evaluated again this week. He must not have liked last week. So with that being said, Commissioner Driscoll is always, there's an air of excitement with him and it's contagious. And I think that's, you know, one of the, one of the great things for the uh, Tri-States Hockey League, Collegiate Hockey League. And it's great that they brought in a, a, a team with the background and in the uh, tradition of, of a, a university of Michigan. You know, I, 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 yes, obviously we are Ohio guys and we are told we're supposed to dislike that team up North and, and coach Brown had that wonderful sign that was missing uh, the most important letter. Oh, um, but I think the excitement that will be built with the different rivalries, you already have the, the Kentucky and the uh, Louisville and you're going to have Ohio state, Michigan and you have others throughout the the league. I just think Commissioner Driscoll had a vision for the league. He's executing that, and you're starting—I don't want to say starting to see—but you're seeing more and more teams showing an interest. And so, like we talked about uh, last week, wouldn't it be a great thing if Ohio University jumped in there? Maybe their other divisional team. What if Kent State jumped in there? Yep. Um, Bowling Green is already in there. I mean, so you could get a real, real John, rivalry. John Carroll. For- John, John Carroll as well. Yeah. You could get a real rivalry interstate. I mean, just think what you could do for, for the fans. Yeah. Right. It'd be a great time.
0: Absolutely. And it was really, it was really good to catch up with, with commissioner Driscoll. Um, it was nice to talk to coach Brown as well. Then we had an opportunity to to come back home in our own state. And uh, we talked with the Ohio university Bobcats division one teams head coach Cole Bell. And uh, we talked about his background, what got him into coaching, uh, his coaching career, and then ultimately, what led him to behind the bench in Athens for the Bobcats talking to coach bell was an interesting conversation for me uh, after learning about his background, Uh, as you talked about Jay, or as we talked about last, last week, you know, he decided to join the military late, right. And Mm -hmm. so him joining the military late and getting back into coaching, you know, I'm very, very, I was very impressed with coach bell. Uh, I wish him the best of luck. I know he's starting off rough this year, but you know what, peaks and valleys in this in this whole business of coaching and and, and all that stuff. So uh, what's your, what was your thoughts of your alma mater, uh, yes. Ohio U, uh, Coach Bell?
1: I believe I have an honorary doctorate. It was called a bachelor's degree and get the heck out of here. You've been here so long. But uh, <clears throat> I think that, you know, he, he was coaching, then he took the year off. And and as you said, he's not having the best of year right now, uh, record-wise. But you said it last week. You know, in, in a time of this pandemic and the fact that they've had to jump through a bunch of hoops and they're even, even playing right now, throw the record out the window. Yeah. The fact that they're playing is awesome. Um, it will come together. You know, you just graduated a, a what, 24-8-4. and four. I, It was an astounding record. It was fantastic. And they were very heavy uh, upperclassmen with a lot. I think what they have, like three or four guys in the top five to 10 in the country in scoring and you graduate them all. So it's going to be ups and downs. And the fact that he has the excitement to want to be there, the excitement for the, with the community, uh, he's trying to build it in in numerous different ways through, uh, you know, the guys giving back to local schools and things of that nature. He's doing things right. It's just going to take a little bit of time.
0: Absolutely. I want to ask uh, management a question here real quick. And I want to get back to, uh, the Tri-States Collegiate Hockey League. How can you, can you talk uh, Love and I through, because obviously we're not privy to any of these conversations, but how did this all occur? Did, did Commissioner Driscoll call you uh, and, and State, you know, can you just walk us through that?
2: He did. He just said, and we've talked, uh, since he's been on, I've talked to him a couple times. I told him we'd like to put together a weekly uh, T-show segment, like we kind of like we do with Monsters Minute, you know, for the league next year. But uh, I think, I, I think that came up when, uh, you know, they I talked to him when they canceled the season and all that. So we were kind of looking forward to next year, but he just texted me and said he had an announcement to make. So I, you know, got in touch with him and asked him because they were ready to make the announcement earlier. I said, if you can sit on it for a couple of days, we'd love you to break it on the podcast. And, we, you know, it'll take us a few days to get it up and then we'll put a story on the website at the same time. And he thought that was great. So I it was an exciting announcement, and uh, I think it's great that he thought uh, to break it on your guys' podcast. Oh. <laughs> great. Great.
1: <laughs> His yeah. choice of words is awesome. Yeah. First, no, he seriously. goes and says, I got to get traffic for my website <laughs> and you guys' podcast. This guy, I mean, man.
0: Yeah, but, but you know what, though? Our, our people that are listening, they, they didn't hear a conversation that, that he had before we got on the air. You know, he was on the phone. I don't know, probably some bigwig, and and said, "Oh, excuse me, I have to go because I have to start my podcast."
2: Yeah, so who, Joe, Joe McGrath making deals. I did say uh, co- that. I, uh, I didn't realize how good this new microphone is. I got to stand further away from it. Next
0: time. Yeah, it can hear your oh. phone. It can hear your phone <laughs> pinging every time you get a text message.
1: Oh, got, hey, hey, somebody's getting paid here because you get new microphones.
0: Yeah, you're ruining, you're ruining your podcast with the <laughs> pinging of your new phone. Yeah. So
1: yeah, how about some uh, professionalism here, huh?
0: Absolutely, Joe McGrath. Well, we're gonna we're gonna Joe McGrath. We're gonna stay in the college ranks this year uh, this week. Uh, this week, we're gonna get back to the women's game. We spoke earlier with Lauren Bernard from the Lake, uh, from Lake County prior to the season. Lauren is a sophomore at Clarkson University and we checked in with Hope Krasafi of Bay Village while she was playing in the Ohio Hockey Project Summer League. Hope is a freshman goaltender at Union College. And of course, we heard from the tremendous story of Lindsey Wallace who found time to walk on to Ohio State women's team around her studies in the ROTC. Today we're going to visit with Shaker owns Annie Fitzgerald from Northeastern University. But before we do that, let's just talk a little bit about what's going on with you guys. Danny, how you been, buddy?
3: So do you want the raccoon story or Ooh. the dog had to have surgery story?
0: Oh, jeez!
3: Because that, that's the week I had.
0: The dog that with the dog surgery was it involved with the raccoon? No. Oh no! Gosh. Well, go. I'm. I'm. You've intrigued me.
3: So, last Wednesday, I wake up at like 3 a.m. to what sounds like my bedroom roof caving in.
1: Okay.
3: And it was it was you know a little starting to get warm out, so I look out the window and I'm like maybe there's just ice on the roof falling off.
0: You know it's and, funny, you know it's funny. Warm to us right now is like 22 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People are out in shorts walking around, honest to god.
3: Sorry. So I I'm looking out the window and I'm not seeing nothing and where my bedroom window's here, like here's the wall and the roof comes right here, my window's looking out. So then all of a sudden there's I see straw flying off the roof. So I'm like what the hell is going on? There's There's no way there's birds making a nest right now. And then it sounds like something is just crawling in the wall. So I'm, you know, here at the moment, I'm getting ready to start punching holes in the wall to figure out what the hell's inside of them. (laughs) All of a sudden, this big ass end turns around and there's the raccoon tail just hanging off the corner of my roof. So now I'm running outside. It's 3.30 in Middleburg Heights. I got flashlights. You know, trying to figure out where it's at, it ran. I don't know, it ran away, whatever. So Papa Hump comes over the next day, and we get up onto the roof. There's a fist hole, like a fist size hole, through my roof. Ripped all the shingles off, ate through the plywood. Was trying to get into the attic. So
0: that thing was cold. It was cold the last couple weeks, man. Come on.
3: So we patched it up and all that, and uh,
1: was he in your attic?
3: He was not in the attic. So so I think I I, I checked that and I I caught it at the right time to where he didn't get in, but it was obvious. That's what he was trying to do. So, um, like I said, Papa hump came over and as he would say, he had some potion, some magic potion that when the raccoons were always eating the, the chickens in the backyard, that he would feed them, and they just, for some reason, didn't like the raccoon. Just like he would always try to give raccoons swimming lessons, and they would yeah. fail. Yeah, raccoons like eat them. chickens? Apparently they do, Scott. Or at least the eggs. I don't know. We can get my dad on for a whole segment on that. <laughs> oh, that would
1: be
0: fantastic.
1: Oh, <laughs> my many God. Chickens,
0: how many chickens did he have at the, when it was the, the biggest?
3: Probably about 500, 600.
1: <laughs> I still remember being at Papa Hump's house. And seeing this humongous chested rooster. And I'd never seen a rooster, whatever you call it crow, caw, whatever, cock a doo. All I know is this bird went from about 200 pounds to like nothing. It just like its entire chest just imploded. And the sound that came out, and it was just dead flat. I was like, holy cow. And then it just it ballooned right back up. Like, this is phenomenal. He goes, you get a beer. Cool. I'm like, all right, there we go. Pop a hunk.
0: <laughs> so what happened to the dog?
1: So,
3: well, all right. So back to the raccoon. Oh, okay. I set some cameras up trying to find it. I haven't seen it since. So I don't, I don't know where just magically disappeared. Denise thinks I'm insane. Cause every night I'm out there setting up the camera.
1: It was setting, like that twilight zone episode. Yeah, the guy was to... looking out the, w- the window of the plane <laughs> and he saw that thing eating at the, eating at the engine. But when, and then he went, had a nervous breakdown. And then when they got him off the plane, like there was no monster on the wing, but the wires were eaten. So I was like, so
3: then the dog, dog, so that was all on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, I come home from work. The dog's paw back paw is swelled up about the size of my hand. So rewind beginning of the week, our neighbors got two dogs and our dogs just like to antagonize each other on either side of the fence. So Bailey was running up and down the fence. Then she came in, her foot was bleeding, but it just looked like she snapped a toenail off and it was like cut, you know, too far back. Didn't think anything of it until it swelled up here. Take her to the emergency room. Find out it split all the way up into her foot, her nerve ending. Um, popped off it was all like pieces of the toenail were in her paw that's why it was all infected and swollen up so we had to you know have some surgery and make a nice donation to the animal hospital and but she's good now she's you know back there sleeping
0: yeah i was gonna say how's she feeling
3: fine i mean that that night she was all Weird. Well, even so I get her to the animal hospital at five because of COVID. They don't let you in the building. So at six, I could take her into the lobby. They take her in the back and then they say, go home. It's going to be a while until we can get to her. And I'm like, okay. So then they call and they tell me they're running three and a half hours behind. So at 11 o'clock at night is when they're calling to say they're going in. They need to do the surgery. So I didn't pick her up till like three in the morning that night. She was all looped out still. But then other than her paw being all wrapped up in a giant blue bandage, you wouldn't know anything happened.
1: I I feel like I should be like one buddy of mine and just look at you and go, cool. Anything else? (laughs) I mean, man, I don't think so. That's that's a month's worth, man. I think we're good. Absolutely. Right. Well, that's all the time we have for tonight. Thanks for joining in. Episode <laughs> I don't 43. want to follow
2: the raccoon story. So. No, no, no,
0: I, no. I, <laughs> I, I just, I, I'll add something. Uh, I told you guys before we got on the air that I, I was looking through the athletic and they have done a preliminary and, and we can, I can just throw this out there and then we can chat about this, you know, some other time, but they did a preliminary roster for all the countries and for the 2022 Olympics. One of the things that, that you'll notice on this preliminary thing through the athletic, this preliminary roster, is that there was no spot for Johnny Goudreau, Zach Parise, Paul Stasny, or even Jack Hughes on the American team. All
1: right, the Zach Parisi I'm going to tell you I understand he's older. But the Jack Hughes, kid's like 19.
3: Did they put it? Quinn Hughes on it?
0: Uh, let me look
2: here. They did. I just pulled it up.
1: They did?
2: Oh, yeah, they did. Yep, yep.
1: Wow. It's going to be a tough summer. It's going to be a tough summer. Who, who are some of the notables that are on the roster? Do they have that list? Well, I'll,
0: I'll go through the Americans real quick with you.
1: Okay.
0: Uh, I'll go line one and then down. Yeah. So these are who they they pretty much – they didn't say they are going to play together, but Kyle Connor, Austin Matthews, Blake Wheeler, <laughs> Jack Eichel, Patrick Kane, Matthew Taychuk, Dylan Larkin, TJ Osey, JT Miller, Joe Pavelski, Anders Lee, Max Pacioretty, Blake Coleman, and Gutznetzel. Defense. How do you say his last name?
1: I, I don't know, but I'm wondering how you could say Pencil. Max Pacioretty and not Keith Kachuk or whichever Kachuk it is.
2: I said T-Chuck.
1: I know, you're T-Chuck.
2: We got Matthew. They left off Brady.
1: Who? We got Matt, Matthew Kachuk, but not Brady. Brady fights too much.
0: Okay. I'm just then, the, then defense, you have Quinn Hughes, Jeff Petrie, Ryan McDonough, John Carlson, Jacob Slavin, Charlie McAvoy, Tori Krug, and Seth Jones.
1: Hmm?
0: And goalies, Connor Hellebuck, John Gibson, and Thatcher Demko.
1: I'm not sold on Thatcher Demko. I know he had an excellent collegiate career, and I know he's doing okay for Vancouver, but he's he's by association, man. They lost Markstrom, and and, and no disrespect, but I think there's – other american goalies they could choose it would be a better fit but again i'm in cleveland ohio i'm not in usa hockey
2: gibson's been phenomenal this year he's on a horrible team but
1: what about team canada any notables left off or that they have no they said or
0: no not that they said i mean
1: they they had patrick kane on the american one right
0: yeah yeah okay okay yeah um well, well let's talk about the canadian one at a different time okay but i just thought this was kind of interesting and maybe we could spend one of our news days if it's slow just kind of going through all the different countries that they have because you know it's not it's not set in stone but it's just it's an interesting read so absolutely so absolutely well let's get on air with what's going on in the news this week in the ohio hockey digest
2: District quarterfinal week is always an eventful one in the Ohio high school postseason, and last week was no exception with action heating up around the state. Starting in the Toledo area, the top two seeds advanced in the Sylvania district as Toledo St. Francis edged Bowling Green 4 2, and Sylvania Northview got past Finley 4 3 in overtime. Northview took the lead three times in regulation in that game, and three times Finley tied it back up, but you do not get a chance to come back in sudden death, and the Wildcats advance. Bowling Green's inspired playoff run, which started with overtime wins over Anthony Wayne and Perrysburg, comes to an end with a strong effort against a powerhouse Knights team going after their sixth district title in seven years. In Columbus, the top two seeds who also met in the Blue Jackets Cup final will go at it again as St. Charles and Upper Arlington won tough games on Sunday. St. Charles had to scratch and claw to get past Talawanda two to nothing, and Upper Arlington coughed up a two nothing lead late in the game to Olentangy Liberty only to beat the Patriots in overtime. We talked about the depth of the Columbus bracket in our preview. And despite the fact that we have the top two seeds getting through again, there are some strong showings from lower seeded teams in the quarterfinals, Liberty snuck past Moeller two to one upper Arlington only beat number seven Olentangy Berlin by two goals and number eight seed Thomas Worthington made St. Charles sweat a little bit again after giving them a hard game in the blue jackets cup quarters as well. There was a crazy semifinal day at Brooklyn Recreation Center on Saturday with the Kent and Brooklyn District Tournaments both being played out of Brooklyn Rec this year. Saturday saw four semifinal games back to back to back to back starting at noon. St. Edward defeated Avon in the early game, but the next three tilts saw ranked teams exit the tournament as the top two seeds in the Brooklyn East bracket. Gilmore Academy and University School were eliminated along with Brooklyn West number two seed St. Ignatius. Rocky River's 5 2 win over St. Ignatius snapped an almost five year winning streak for the Wildcats in the OHSAA postseason, an incredible mark that encompassed four consecutive state titles and a shot at a fifth that was thwarted by COVID 19 in 2020. Menner knocked out Gilmore on an overtime goal by Andrew McBride, and Walsh Jesuit upset US 2 1 in a fast paced physical game that featured stellar goaltending at both ends of the ice. Playoff hockey at its finest. So now we are down to the championship games in each of the four districts and the four participants in the 2021 state tournament will be decided next weekend. In Sylvania, the top seeded St. Francis Knights will go after their sixth district title in seven years. Sylvania Northview will try to prevent that from happening at Tam O'Shanter Friday night at 7 p.m. In Columbus, we will see St. Charles and Upper Arlington a rematch of the Blue Jackets Cup title game won by Upper Arlington. The Cardinals and Bears will drop the puck at 2 p.m. on Saturday. And in Brooklyn, Friday night at 7 p.m., Menor and Walsh Jesuit will face off. St. Edward and Rocky River will go Saturday at 1. The Brooklyn West winner will go up against the winner of the Columbus District in one of the state semifinal games, while the Brooklyn East and Sylvania bracket winners will meet in the other semi.
0: Andrew McBride scored both goals for Menor in their 2-1 win over Gilmore Academy in Saturday's district semifinals. Those two goals added to McBride's school record for points. The senior forward set the mark in Menner's quarterfinal win over Shaker. He now has 213 points, breaking the mark previously held by Kyle Baxton, who had set the record last year when he broke the career mark of McBride's older brother, Evan.
1: The Dayton Stealth won the USA Hockey Ohio High School State Championship, defeating the Medina Bees 5-1 in the championship game on Sunday. The Hilliard Wildcats and Northeast Storm were also semifinalists in that tournament that featured 12 teams from around the state competing at Chiller North.
0: Shaker Heights native Colin Purcell stopped 37 of 38 shots, but the Young Sound Phantoms came up short by a score 2-1 to one in a shootout against the Muskingum Lumberjacks Saturday night at the Cavelli Center. It was just the fourth appearance of the year for Purcell, who was starting to get back into the groove after not getting into a game until February, Due to an injury yeah i um i actually had a torn labrum in my hip uh it was something that was aggravating me for a few years actually and i, I was unaware that um it was my labrum i thought it was my groin pulling over and over again but yeah i feel great um this year this year's been a big step for me i think and uh last year was a huge step and uh coming back this year with the new hip it's just another another level of confidence
1: The United States Premier Hockey League and its tuition-free National Collegiate Development Conference are proud to announce their 2021 USPHL NCDC Combines, set to take place in Detroit, Michigan, April 23rd and 24th, and Chicago, Illinois, May 14th and 15th. These combines will feature guaranteed scouting opportunities by coaches from the USPHL's Tier 2 Tuition-Free National Collegiate Development Conference, along with additional scouting opportunities with USPHL Premier and Elite teams. Players born between January 1st, 2001 and December 31st, 2005 will be eligible. No league at the Tier 2 and Tier 3 levels sends more players to college than the USPHL. More than 150 players committed to college hockey out of the 2019-2020 NCDC season alone, and there are currently over 50 Division I committed players skating in the NCDC. For more information, go to www.usphl backslash to register and learn more.
0: Let's see what's going on with the Cleveland Monsters in this week's Monsters Minute. The Monsters Minute is brought to you by the Ohio Hockey Project, Northeast Ohio's leader in player development and advancement. Take your training to the next level this offseason with the Ohio Hockey Project.
4: The Cleveland Monsters have a tough series this weekend with a pair of road games against the 8-1 Chicago Wolves on Friday and Saturday. The Monsters are coming off a 6-3 win over the Rockford Icehawks last Saturday night that saw the team finish the game with only 14 skaters. Trey Fix-Wolanski netted two power play goals in the third period, while Connor McDonald logged his first two AHL assists and Carson Meyer dished out three helpers in only his third pro game. Forwards Nick Lappin and Zach Jordan both recorded their first goals of the season in the win. In goal, Matisse Kivlenics played well after nearly a full calendar year away from live game action, stopping 27 of 30 shots to pick up his first one of the year. The Monsters currently sit in 5th place in the Central Division with a 2-3-1-0 record, good for 5 points. The team will have some reinforcements available this weekend as Zach Dalpy and Ryan McGuinness, their top two centermen, return from brief stints on Columbus's taxi squad. The pair only missed one game after last Sunday afternoon's scheduled weekend finale against Rockford was canceled less than two hours before faceoff due to COVID-19 protocols.
0: Let's get on air with Northeastern University Annie Fitzgerald. This episode of the Ohio Hockey Digest On Air podcast is brought to you by the United States Premier Hockey League. The USPHL has five teams in the Ohio Hockey Digest coverage area. The Columbus Mavericks, the Toledo Cherokee, Wooster Oilers, Lake Erie Bighorns, and the Fort Wayne Spacemen. Learn more at the USPHL.com. This week, we talked to another highly touted women's hockey player from Northeast Ohio. Annie Fitzgerald is from Shaker Heights. She starred at Gilmore Academy, helping that team to a Mid-Am District Championship and first ever appearance at USA Hockey Nationals. Now, she's a member of the Huntington Hounds as a freshman on the number two ranked women's team in the NCAA, Northeastern University. Please welcome, on air, Shaker Zone. Annie Fitzgerald welcome to the show Annie hi well first of all uh, as this being the Ohio Hockey Digest we always like to get you know local uh, guys and gals that come back uh, on our show and talk about it. so you were born in Shaker Heights ended up playing in five seasons at Gilmore and one year in Toronto but before we talk about that what can you tell us about growing up and getting into hockey in a great youth hockey community like Shaker Heights you have four brothers so I'm guessing they played as a role model.
5: Yeah, so I actually originally started out with figure skating, and uh, I grew up playing at Cleveland Skating Club, which is also in Shaker Heights, and um, my family had belonged there for a while, my grandparents uh, belonged there also, and so uh yeah I started as a figure skater and then I saw my older brother playing and my dad was a hockey player too so I was like all right I want to do that instead like that looks like a lot more fun no one from my family was willing to come and help me get dressed up in my figure skating stuff so I was like all right yeah I got I got I'm gonna move on to hockey and um yeah I mean I I thank my brothers and my and my dad and my mom too but they they really pushed me and you know, they were inspiring when I wanted to get into hockey and they were always supportive. So when,
1: when you started out, was it strictly on, I I don't want to, I mean, this sounds really bad, but is is it, did you start out on strictly boys teams or did you get right into the women's game or onto a women's team right away? Or uh, how about how long until that came about? So I
5: started with boys and um, my dad was my coach up until I, I stopped playing boys right before I Phantom started when hitting um, was included, and I was just way too small <laughs> at that age to like uh, keep up with that. So then I started like a few tournaments for the girls because there wasn't much um going on with girls hockey especially in that area um at that time so I would jump on like a few spring teams when we could get like enough girls together um you know girls like Lauren Bernard Jayla Edwards uh, Laura Clark I played with them a lot growing up and so like we would always just be trying to field teams and just it was more so like tournaments but I didn't play on like an actual like girls team until seventh grade and that was uh the Gilmore gladiators which was the first year of that team um who and it was coached by the Gilmore prep school coach uh, Rick Filguera. so he kind of made this team because his daughter was the same age as me and so uh he wanted to uh make a team for his daughter to play on too, and get like a, a lot of girls in Cleveland who wanted to play and didn't have anywhere else to play so he fielded that team and that's kind of like the first full women's team i played it and i did a lot of tournaments with like ohio flames when that existed and that was about it yeah
1: so let's let's i have to ask a hard-hitting question yeah. did you really stop playing uh boys hockey at bantam because of the hitting and the size or was it because you were just tired of listening to your dad
5: <laughs> yeah as, well, as coach. i guess i would take I would definitely say both. No, my dad, my dad was never a yeller or screamer or anything. Everyone always loved him as a coach, but it was definitely time to part ways with him when I got a little older. I was like, all right, it's time. It's time to get some intel from someone else. But yeah, I mean, I, I was actually, it was funny because one of my best friends growing up, Laura Clark, who now plays field hockey at Michigan, so we played together at uh, Cleveland Skating club and her dad was also one of the coaches, but she grew so much faster than me. Like she was super tall when she's was younger. And so her parents let her go to Bantam and I was like so upset about it, that I wasn't able to, cause I just was not growing at the same rate as her. So that was tough, but I, I wanted to play boys as long as I could, because I, I just, I liked it better, but you know, you just have to move on at some point.
1: So you helped lead Gilmore Academy to the U19 Mid-Am District Championship in 2017, and that was the first for the program, and the USA Hockey National Tournament. I know Gilmore plays a high-level schedule throughout the year, but was the national tournament uh, a whole different level of competition for you guys?
5: Yeah, I think it was just – it was no teams that we had really seen before because we play in such – like a small like the places we would go most of the time were like Detroit or Buffalo because like there's no really other girls teams in Ohio that were because uh at that same year um or maybe it was the year before, but it was the only other team was Columbus Blue Jackets and they ended up folding. So a lot of those girls came to our team. And so we were kind of like the last team standing in Ohio. And so we, we didn't face like much competition from those tier one teams. And we didn't face a lot of top competition just like throughout the year, like a few games here and there, but yeah, nothing really compared to when we got there. And it was just kind of like a I think like our biggest goal was getting there in the first place. I think we all knew going into it as much as we wanted to win a national championship that it wasn't necessarily likely, but yeah.
2: Cool. And speaking about going uh, to find new competition at a national level, you participated three times in the USA Hockey National Development Camp. Um, did you play with Lauren Bernard at those or was she in an age group ahead of you? Um,
5: no, we were in the same age group. Uh, my first year, I went to the U15 camp and that was out of St. Cloud. So that's about 230 something girls. And so um, I I think it was just me, Shayla, Laura, and then two other girls from our district that went, I can't remember who, but um, Lauren actually didn't go that first year with me. And then the next two years I made the 66 camp in Biddeford, Maine. And that's when um, I, w- I was there with Lauren too.
2: So you're going in there, two hundred and thirty girls, you said. Yeah, do you feel like you okay. like you need to do something every day to get noticed, or do you just try to do your thing? How do you? Approach yeah, it?
5: it was it was tough because it was just a whole new like realm of players, like girls. You know, they had a big chunk of girls from Minnesota, a big chunk of girls from the East Coast, and I honestly like that first camp was kind of like, wow, I I'm. I, I do good in Ohio, but I got to step it up if I'm going to want to get noticed at these camps. And so I think that was like a little bit of a wake up call for me because again, I just had like growing up there, there wasn't like a bunch of competition, especially with the other two really good girls coming out of Cleveland, both being defensemen. It it was easier to get noticed in um, Cleveland, but yeah, it was just, it, it was tough a bit to do my own thing. I I definitely felt like a little out of place my first year for sure
2: and with that many players are they able to give you a lot of feedback after the camp or I can't imagine you have sit downs with everybody
5: yeah no it's tough to really like gauge where you're at with like with what they see and stuff like that I played on a pretty good team my first year and um I think that helped because we we played a few extra games on some other teams there and uh I had a few, I don't. I think I had a point or two at the tournament, not many, but um. It, yeah, it was definitely, it was tough to kind of like tell where I was at and I didn't get much feedback that first year. I just kind of like go away from that. Okay. I didn't really feel like I was at my best there because I kind of went in expecting to just play how I usually do. But with those other players and around those other players, it was, it was a lot different than what I was used to. Can,
1: can you explain that? So you, you play one style here. you go to St. Cloud and you have to, uh, is it fair to say, kind of adjust your game to, to compete, to keep up, to stand out. In what way did you have to change your game?
5: So I feel like, um, when I was playing at Gilmore and especially on that, the gladiators team, which was a tier two, that was in a tier two league. So it was kind of easier for me to, to do a lot on my own, you know, and, um, I think this has kind of just been a big adjustment in my game, even like going to those other camps, going to Toronto, going to college, is just learning to play with good players and, and learning to, it's not, I I just can't like rely on myself. You know, I have to be able to trust my teammates and trust who I'm with on the ice. And I think that um, that, that was definitely one of my toughest transitions. So I, I had to adjust in a way that I had to see the ice a bit more. I had to, I had to become more of a playmaker than I wanted to be a goal scorer when I was uh, on those other teams.
0: So earlier in our podcast, we had one of your former coaches we had coach Conway on from Gilmore. And when we were talking to coach, we, we, we talked about some of the players out of Cleveland that she coached that have moved on to the next level. I'm going to give you the scouting report that she provided us about you. You are fast. You never stop hunting pucks. You have great puck protection skills and you don't mind playing a little physical when you need to. It's about sound about accurate.
5: Yeah. All
0: right. To me, that sounds like a great recipe for a college player, right? Yeah. So, Let's let's go back a little bit. And when you started honing in on some of these skills, obviously, it started from the youth and then moving through that. When did you really know that you had uh, the passion, not really the passion, but the passion and the skills to take to the next level?
5: Um, it was probably that last year of boys hockey and, um, Rick Figueroa reached out. Cause I, I, well, I initially had gotten like a few letters to go to like different prep schools. And then I was getting letters to go to some showcases and I was like, okay, like I'm getting noticed, like, like I, I can make it, I can take it out of just this small, like group. I can like make other like I can, uh, I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but I w- I was starting to get noticed, and that kind of gave me some confidence that it wasn't just like in Ohio that I, I was doing well, like other I was going to be able to perform in other places too. And so, I think it was when I started getting that I guess I would say like validation from those coaches and stuff like that that gave me that confidence. I was like, okay, like I think I'm in a good place, and um, so I w- I went and played on the prep team uh, for Gilmore because I could only play prep. I couldn't play U19 yet, but I played on the prep team in eighth grade. And that was my first like full season of like tier one hockey. And, and I, I, I felt like I was fitting in. And I think again, that gave me a lot of confidence and I was like, okay, I feel like I'm in a good spot. And my freshman year, then I started getting like some college looks and I had made that like, uh, the U15 camp. And so I think just those like small successes were like, were like kind of like, Oh wow. Like I, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm getting noticed. And then I kind of started to like trust myself more and yeah, adjust my game so that I could keep, could keep getting like those looks.
0: Yeah. I, I do want to say this though. And, and, and this is kudos to you, but this is also good information for anyone out there that's trying to move on to whatever level it may be. Coach uh, also mentioned that you deserve all the credit in the world. Because of how faithful and devoted you were to Gilmore Academy, uh, your entire career, and and I think that's important. We talked with Mike Rupp uh, earlier in our podcast and said there's no reason to be jumping around, yeah. you know. So so she did make it very clear that that uh, they, they were obviously thankful, but you are to be uh, you deserve credit for that. But with all those years of a devotion to Gilmore Academy, did they nearly leave you at a rest stop one time?
5: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes they did i had to chase down the bus <laughs> that is oh uh, you got
0: to go a little bit further detail yeah
1: come on, on, on that
0: running, that running, down
1: the, running down uh, running down the bus
5: speed or
0: L- listen listen <laughs> this is this is what a player gets for sticking with the program for many years <laughs> yeah right? they leave you at the rest stop
5: i know and i remember like we were at this rest stop and i would always linger like around anyways like I, I've, I figured they would notice if I was gone, but I guess I was wrong. And I I, re- I see, I come back out of the parking lot. I was maybe in the bathroom or something or grabbing as many snacks as I possibly could. And I see the bus pulling out of the parking lot. So I start running after it. And then, like, I finally I have to, like, knock on the door. I'm, like, banging on the door. I'm, like, let me in. Girls on my team were, like, oh, my gosh. Like, we didn't even know that was you running after the bus. Like, we were scared. We were telling the bus driver to just go. So, like, even <laughs> while I was running after it, they didn't know it was me I <laughs> but yeah that that was that was definitely not one of my better moments <laughs>
0: well no it wasn't one was, of your better it was not <laughs> it one of the bus drivers
2: could
0: you imagine if the if the coach had to explain uh sorry i know we're 35 minutes late or an hour late but we had to turn around because <laughs> we forgot one of our players as a coach and that's like when we travel that's one of my biggest fears of all time we'll do head counts three four times because that I don't want to see a kid running down right. uh,
2: the bus, yeah. but. Wait, wait. Was it on the way I, to the I, game I or on the way back?
5: Yeah. I, uh, I don't even know. I want to say it was on the way back. I remember it was late at night and that's why they couldn't tell it was me. So I, they thought I was just, they were like, I, we thought that was a little boy like chasing after us. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> oh,
1: that's great. So I, I can't even continue. That was too good. With, with everything in the scouting report that Shauna made mention of and, and that puts you and your confidence you're gaining and, and, and playing at a higher level that puts you on the radar of the top programs of Northeastern. When did the conversation, when did the conversation with Northeastern begin?
5: So it's actually funny. They were one of like, when, like my freshman year I'd gotten like one of those kind of more like general, like inquiry emails and um I I don't I'd only known about Northeastern because of Cassie Anderson who's also from Shaker Heights and that was the the girl I mentioned before Laura Clarks that that was her older cousin so I had spent a lot of time like growing up with her and when she had committed there I was like kind of younger wasn't even like really thinking about like colleges yet and so I wasn't even sure what it was and then I think I had like a maybe like one, one phone call with them and then never really heard back from them. So I was like, all right, like time to look other places, but I was still early in the process. And, um, and then I ended up committing my summer going into junior year, which was considered late, which as crazy as it sounds, I was considered someone who was late to commit because that first 66 camp, I think I was like one of five or six girls that didn't have a college commitment. And so, um, yeah, I I talked to a bunch of schools. I I went on a bunch of visits with my dad. I didn't really have like too much like criteria of where I was looking. I looked at like schools in Minnesota, like a lot of schools in the WCHA. I looked at a lot of schools on the East Coast, um, a few different conferences, and so it, it just kind of came down to that like um, balance of you know, the school and the, the program itself. And because I was looking at Ivy school, I, I was like pretty sure I wanted to go to an Ivy. And then I realized, I think that just might be too much pressure for me. And so that's kind of why I backed out of that. But I ended up, um, I went to a tournament, if you know, Rush, like the Rush showcase in Toronto, mm-hmm. it was pretty popular. And I, I like did well throughout the tournament. And then they had like an all-star game at the end and the coaches of the all-star team were the North, uh, Nick Carpinito. So our assistant coach and like, they can't really like talk to you while you're there. So it wasn't anything like that. And then they ended up. So we had like lost contact, like I said, from that first year or that first like time they had sent out the email after that first call. Um, and I was even communicating with, uh, Pellegrini, who is now, I believe at Shattuck, but he was, he was there when I was first looking, he was here when I was first looking. And so then after that camp, or after that, sorry, showcase, they called me like, I want to say two or three weeks later, and then they had offered me then.
1: So who were some of the other schools that you were looking at that lost out in the Annie Fitzgerald (laughs) sleepstakes? Um.
5: So kind of, I was, I was pretty interested in Princeton, and then um, also Cornell. I was look I looked at um, like I said the Miniso- a few of the Minnesota schools. So I did like a visit to Mankato, uh, Bemidji. Um, I looked at OSU, but. My my mom went to OSU and she was like, no, you got to do something different. Like, <laughs> and, it, it, it it was cool to. I, I thought it would have been cool to stay in Ohio, but I knew I wanted to get out of there. I just like something new, um. And yeah, I guess There there's a few more, but I don't really. Remember.
1: What what sold you on Northeastern? What was I, the deci- What was the deciding factor for you?
5: I definitely I I fell in love with Boston. I think it was it was definitely the city. And I, re- I realized after a lot of the visits that I, I wanted to end up on the East Coast and um, they, like I said, they they showed a lot of interest in me and and the academics here are, are really, really good. And so I wanted, like I said, I wanted to like find that balance of like a good program and um and uh, a good good academics and they were they've been like up and coming because actually we I know you said we're second but today we got announced that we're we're the first we're number one now and so I stand
0: corrected breaking
5: news breaking news news. (laughs) which is like insane and we have three of the best players in the country right now on our team and I, I kind of like I felt like I wanted to be a part of a program like that you know there's there's those programs like Wisconsin and in Minnesota that I've been one and two, and BC even was up there for a while too, like one, two, and three, like for a long time. But like this, like them, like us earning like number one is just like so much more special in my opinion. And like a program that's being built like that, like I want to be, I I want it to be a part of a program like that.
2: So you go into the program your freshman year, you're, you are kind of thrown into the deep end of uh, NCAA women's hockey. The teams ranked near the top of the country. They have a record of 18-1-1, one one, by the way. Uh, the one loss being 2-1 to, to Boston College in the second game of the season. And you guys are 16-0-1 on And there were four of the six girls on the all-hockey's first team are Huskies. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. for a freshman player, that's a pretty intimidating environment to jump into. Um, and I understand the coach puts you on the first line with uh, Chloe Arard and Alina Mueller. Yep. So I think people assume it makes it easier to play with great players, but is it actually tougher because you have to elevate your game to their level?
5: Yeah. Um, I mean, those two players are incredible. I think they can, I think it can go both ways. And I think it did go both ways. Cause I felt sometimes like what well, I like, it like if something goes wrong, like all eyes are gonna be on me. Like if that play doesn't get completed, like that that's gonna be on me. Like they people know and they trust them and they know the type of players they are. Like I'm I still haven't gotten that chance to prove myself, and so there were definitely a few moments where I felt like a lot of pressure was on me. But at the same time, like it, it, it they made it hard for me to mess up because they just they know exactly where the puck needs to be and they know exactly what they need to do and having like coming in with that and having them too as my line mates at first was it, it, it was it was nice. It wasn't, it was honestly incredible because they they told me like, they were telling me exactly what I needed to do and how and what they told me they were never wrong. Like they were like, okay, this is what we've been doing. Cause they've been linemen since uh, they came in together their freshman year. So they've been um, playing together for a while. So they, they had a lot of things that they kind of stuck to and that worked for them. And so they were just trying to kind of fill me in with all that. And so at first it was like a little overwhelming, and um, I I didn't I wasn't on that line for too long before it got switched around. But it was a lot easier that they were like helping me out like that. And I think they helped um, build some confidence because they they're incredible players. But I found them to be even better teammates. And um, I think it was just more of like like you said coming into that, it's a lot at once, but it also, it it made me feel pretty good that they trusted me enough to to start me there, and
1: yeah. That's great. So, I, I don't mean to, to back up, but <clears throat> for our young listeners out there, what if, what have you felt has been the most important aspect of your growth to becoming a Division I hockey player?
5: I... You, it's. Chasing,
0: I would
5: chasing buses down. <laughs> chasing buses down. Yeah, getting that cardio in whenever you can. Good um, footwear. No, tie your shoes. I, <laughs> I definitely, I want to say it's, it's all about like me. It's definitely a lot about the mental side of it. And I feel like that's being more talked about now than it has been in the past. Because when I was growing up, it was just kind of like, how can you get bigger, stronger? Like, how can you be like the fastest one on the ice? And I think when I was, when I ended up being like put in those situations, like at those camps or on those tournament teams and stuff like that, like everyone's fast everyone's good like it what's going to separate you is um like what like how strong you are mentally and I think that I I'm definitely don't have nearly as much confidence as I'd like to have yet but I think that it's been really important for me to be able to um become more of a confident player so that that can that can translate into my game because I felt like especially this year there's there'd been a few games where I I kind of let, let the, you know, pressure of it, like get the best of me. And I just wasn't able to perform. And, and so I think that it, like, at first I was just like, oh, I got, I got to be in the weight room, like 24 seven, like, I got to do this. I got to get all the extra hours, but it really comes down to like, like, how can you prepare mentally? Like, how can you be like the most like calm on the ice? How can you like perform in those situations? And so I think that I'm glad that there is um, more focus on it now than when I was younger because no one really told me that until it happened. And then I was like, okay, I really got to I got to shape up in my own head because like, like I said, those first couple of camps, I got down on myself and then like, it wasn't, it wasn't making me any better. It wasn't helping me to perform any better. And so like just kind of that like confidence building has been super important for my game.
1: Good. So flipping back to more current. I, I know they canceled it for this year due to COVID, but what have you heard about the bean pot tournament? And has there been a lot of talk about the Northeastern women being the defending champs?
5: Oh, we love to talk about it every day. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I was so lucky. Look- I've been looking forward to that since I committed here. And honestly, not that it was like, had to be a reason I committed to the school, but it definitely was one of the it was a factor that I was like interested in because I, I, oh, I just wish I could have been a part of it this year. It's not, it sounds incredible. They say it's like the best time of the year. Um, And especially like, I mean, we don't get like that many fans, but they're there. We can, we can get a little bit more than our parents and our grandparents. We can <laughs> get, a few, get a few locals in the stadium, but um, yeah, I, I'm excited for that. And they, that's something that like has been super, like a really good, a, a really like um, important like success because especially like beating out that BC team and BU and we've always like had that rivalry and it's kind of like BC had always been like considered a better team than us for a while. And so like, it was kind of just like proving that we were, were right there with them and now we're, we're um, above and beyond them. So,
2: yeah. So the men's, men's team has been winning it a lot lately too,
5: hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I've, uh, I have like a few close friends on the men's team too. And like, we, we just, we kind of joke around we're, like, cause they won the bean pot too. So we're even there, but like, we're, we're like, we're higher in the rankings now than you guys. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like a, we're like, watch out. <laughs> yeah,
0: You gotta let them know about it. Yeah. So, so you got, uh, you did get your first career goal out of the way in your third game against Maine. Congratulations on that. Um, But we have to mention now that you're on the shelf with the dreaded LBI. Uh, What do you remember about your first goal? And will you be back on the ice in time for the national tournament?
5: uh my first goal um you you definitely don't want to watch the post game interview on that one because i i told them that i blacked out so that was
0: really <laughs> <Well>, now every, <laughs> no, everyone that's listening to our show is gonna go you
5: gonna go now, you try know. and find it yeah yeah no but i really did it was it was kind of something that i had no idea when it was gonna come and something that i've been looking forward to and um it's not like all about points or whatever, you know, but it's, it's something that you kind of always remember. And so it was a really, it was a really special moment, especially like, um, I don't know. Yeah. But I did, I did block out. I, I don't remember it. I just shot it and was hoping that it would go in because I was right there. Um, But yeah, it was, it was really, it was really incredible feeling. And there's this picture of me like, coming down the line and my roommates are like jumping all over me (laughs) because we we have such a small class there's only um three other girls in my class and so we're pretty small so we're all really close and that's been nice just especially like in this year we all live in the same room and stuff too so it's nice having that like close-knit class and so we're always like being so excited for each other and it's funny because my other one of my other roommates scored her first career goal too, but she like roofed it at an empty net. It was super funny. So <laughs> we don't her about that, but yeah, it, it was, it was a really incredible feeling.
2: Where's the puck? Is it somewhere back on your desk there behind
5: you? I never even got it. Oh. What? I know, right? It's awesome
2: whatever
1: we're
4: gonna have to we're gonna
0: have to make it uh, well well jay and i can't because we're not part of the management of this uh, podcast (laughs) scott harrington's gonna have to make that request so what about you getting back on the ice this year
5: oh right um so i i think it's been five weeks now uh that i've been out and it was a game against providence i want to say it was my first or second shift into the second period and i was going um i was on a 2 on 1 um and i had a perfect pass and i the one the providence defenseman got her stick right underneath me right before and her stick kind of got like caught in my body and so it spun me around and i ended up like i was on my knees facing like the rink and my feet went um my feet went right into the boards and my teammate was coming behind the net to pick up the loose puck. And so she kind of like hit me and flew over me. And I immediately heard something and felt something in my ankle. And so I ended up, um, having they're not it was I was a high ankle sprain but I had done damage to like two of my ankle ligaments and um I I thought I broke it I couldn't feel my toes it was like some of the worst I I've never been out with an injury before so this is also a really tough experience for me because I just it's never happened before so but I was just kind of laying there and I was like oh I knew this was gonna be bad and it was funny my teammates because I'm like I just got so like overwhelmed because I was like in pain that I was like trying to take off my helmet and I was like rolling around I was like oh my gosh my teammates were like I think there's blood I think she hurt her head someone said my ankle my coaches like keep joking about it because everyone thought there was something else wrong with me but <laughs> I ended up getting off the ice right after that went to the hospital got an X-ray um it, there wasn't a break so that Monday I got an MRI and that's when they let me know that I would be out for four to six weeks so now i'm on my fifth week and i had my first full contact practice last or this past friday and then i'm hope it's just kind of like getting back um into the lineup now and i've been talking to my coaches about it and whether you know we have a like super large roster too so um it it just you know, it's, I am not going to be able to just like jump right back in. I'm definitely going to have to ease into it. So, but I am back um, playing. It's just about when I can play in the game or not.
2: Well, and you guys we, are in the league semifinals right now, right? We t-
5: yeah. So we're playing, um, we play to or Wednesday at 4 30, we're playing UConn and then we're going to play uh, the winner of Providence I think it's Providence in Maine, and that's going to be on Friday or Saturday.
2: Okay. BC's out.
5: Yeah, BC lost to UConn actually five to one. Wow. It was kind. Of, it was yeah. It was a little crazy. Look at the smile on your face. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not mad about it. I'm pretty happy about it. But...
0: <laughs> so our listeners won't be able to see this Zoom, uh, but but ear to ear smile when she's like, "Yeah, they got beat five to one." So,
1: well, um, you you can also hear the the northeastern and the UNH uh, guy on our podcast here. Uh, They're just going back and forth right now. I'm again, we're getting big timed by our management, so it's nice. <laughs> well, they to see took you
2: out. I didn't East mention Coast they took out UNH in the last round.
1: So. <clears throat> oh, did they? Yeah. Even. Well, why did
2: why didn't you mention
1: that? <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: she
0: didn't plan that. So yeah.
1: Right
0: there. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, Annie. uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on tonight, sharing your, uh, experience, sharing your history of playing, uh, what you're doing now. Uh, you know, I know you're, you're, you're not playing right now because of your injury, but what we've learned about you through your former coaches research, uh, I would not hesitate to say this, that you'll be in that lineup and you'll be a major factor in that lineup, uh, forthcoming and very soon. So uh, congratulations on all of your success leading up to your point, uh, up to this point. And, uh, good luck and congratulations on the success you'll have moving forward. Now, we do really appreciate you coming on uh, and joining us tonight.
5: Thank you so much guys. Thanks, All right, thanks, thanks very Andy. much. Bye.
0: This episode of the Ohio hockey digest on air podcast is brought to you by the United States premier hockey league. Find out how to try out for a junior hockey team in your area at usphl.com. You know, every, every week, uh, we continue to do this and, and management, uh, allows us the platform to continue on his podcast we you know it's it just amazes me the people that we get to talk to every day uh, in this and you know speaking to a uh, a wonderful person like Annie Fitzgerald coming out of Shaker Heights going through Gilmore and then moving on into the different ranks that she had to do uh and I I felt I found that that story about it was time for her to move on because well one she wanted to move on and not play uh, Bantam hockey, but two, she was ready to have a different voice from her dad. And I know that's no dis—that's disres- not a disrespectful statement, yeah. but it was kind of funny to hear that. But every every week we get to talking here, different avenues and different uh, roads that people take. This one was amazing. Annie, you know, stuck with Gilmore because they were good to her, even though they tried to leave her at a rest stop. But they st- she stuck with it, and it got to where she wanted. She said, from eighth grade on, She wanted to play at an Ivy league school because of the academics and the challenge of, uh, of the classroom. You know, she had a vision and, and I, and and look it's obviously her vision and her work ethic and her hard uh, uh, or her hard work. She was, she's number one in the country on a team. That's number one in the country. She's at a very, very academically high institution of Northeastern. She really seems like she's having a good time up there, scored her first collegiate goal. Although suffering an injury, but you know what? You have to have those in order to progress.
1: And she she's was getting, driving driving to the net. Yeah, driving she, to the net when she got she got banged into there. So and,
0: and she's and she's getting through it. So you know, I just it, it just an impressive conversation with a very impressive young lady.
1: I never had the opportunity for obvious reasons to play in a women's game. I tried; they didn't let me in. But in <laughs> yeah. in, in, in all seriousness, I I can't imagine. <clears throat> being a, a, a young lady playing in a boys game, in, in a boys team, not in a boys game. Cause that's not, that's not fair. That's not right. But playing in that setting year in and year out and the mental fortitude you have to have, because you know, you're hearing things. Uh-huh. And when we spoke to Lindsay Wallace, Lindsay flat said it. Yeah. You hear things and it made me laugh. The yep. mental fortitude that Annie had to go to that first camp at 15 and think, wow, I need to up my game and then to go and do it, and then to get north, to go to Northeastern and get on a line or be on a line with two of the top players in the country and be able to do that. And now to have to go through an injury, which for any player of any level, of any mentality, that's a difficult thing. And she's at the tail end of it, as she said, back skating again. And she understands there's a lot of work to do, but she's hopeful and, and very confident that she'll be able to – crack that crack back into that lineup uh, very soon so the mental fortitude the drive that you have to have to succeed and, and to achieve that level is is paramount and and good on her and good on her for the success she's had and good as you said so good on good on her for the success the success she will have
2: and it's great that uh she was able to to get all of the development that she needed to be able to to play at that level right here in Ohio. Right here She's to yeah. It yeah. happened right here uh Gilmore Academy and uh Shaker Heights and uh, I think that's a great message for any uh young girls out there that you know to have that uh <clears throat> development pipeline right here in the state for the the women's girls and women's game I think is outstanding and uh clearly the coaches there at Northeastern had uh, plans for coming in there to, as a freshman, drop her on the top line with two of the best players in the conference. That's, that's really impressive. Yeah.
0: And, and you'll hear a lot more young ladies coming out of Gilmore. Gilmore is doing an excellent job of keeping the girls, but putting them in a right spot to move on to that, that collegiate level. We're going to hear a lot of girls coming out of that program here in the next couple of years. So we look forward to that. Uh, Jay, I have to say this. Your voice was heard, brother. <clears throat>
1: oh,
0: No, it was heard. You, you, you said two weeks ago that there needs to be a further conversation with the Ohio High School Athletic Association. And yep. let me tell you, you're going to want to tune in next week to everybody because we're going to preview the 2021 Ohio High School State Championship Tournament. But we will also be visited by Ohio High School Athletic Association Executive Director Doug Oot, to talk about some of the challenges and successes of his first six months on the job but also some of the issues facing the high school game in Ohio. And we hope to bring together a round table of the four district championship coaches. That's going to be interesting, Jay. you got to get your platform brother.
1: Well, you know, I, I I'm not one to be a mouthpiece for, uh, I'm not clickbait. You know, somebody used my voice as clickbait this last <laughs> week. And my, <laughs> you know, I, I'm, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I take this platform that we're, we're given and I, uh, I, I take it very seriously to be a hundred percent honest with you guys. And and I received a few texts and a few calls from some people when they listened and which that in itself shocked the bejesus out of me that one people listened and two, that they would call me on it, but they did. And I, I want to clarify one thing. My, my complaint is not that there's a state tournament in Columbus. You could play that game at Halloran Ice Rink on 117th. If there's an outdoor rink for those not in the area, it doesn't matter. My my problem that I have is I feel that the state neglects the game of ice hockey to the point where it is, I don't want to call it an afterthought, but it feels that way. I mean, I I would hope that the state would treat bowling to football in the same light. This is possibly the last game a lot of these these players are going to have, so make it worth their while. Make it make it the Super Bowl. Make it the Stanley Cup Game Seven. I mean, make it out of this world for those guys. And and I feel that it's it's not being done as accurate as it can be. And other than that, I'll save the rest of my comments for Commissioner Oot.
0: Well, breaking news: uh, Cleveland's own Curtis Hall has signed an entry level deal with the Boston Bruins today we're recording on monday march 1st so he signed it today so congratulations to curtis hall again we want to thank annie fitzgerald for coming on for joining us from northeastern university we're continuing to grow the game as best as we can this is on air the ohio hockey digest podcast